Hello and welcome to the Europeans. It's a lovely sunny day here in Amsterdam and I am speaking to Katie Lee in London, I think. Yeah, London. And it's really sunny here as well. It's so nice. Um, And you had quite an exciting journey to London, didn't you, I hear? I did. Um, I was just sitting at the Eurostar terminal, tapping away on my laptop, preparing for this podcast, actually. And uh, guess who was standing next to me, it turned out? Oh, I meant to guess. Um, <laughs> you already know, though. I know. Oh, well, I'll put you out of your misery, everyone. Um, oh, are we allowed to say his name? Yeah, go on. It was a quite famous European known as Nigel Farage, one of the key architects of uh, what we like to call the B word on this podcast. So, yeah, we had a nice little chat and uh, quite a divergence of opinion. But there you are. It was relatively civil. And are you going to play us some of the tape, Katie? No. Oh. Should I? No, maybe not. Maybe we shouldn't give his voice any more airtime. It gets enough already. I did listen to the tape that Katie recorded of him and she did give him a hard time. So we should all feel very proud of her. I thought I was quite nice. That's nice by my standards. Well, you at least pissed him off. He wasn't happy. That's true. But um, you've also just been in London, haven't you? I was in London last weekend, so we just missed each other, I'm afraid. I feel like you do this on purpose. Well, I mean, I do. All right. <laughs> Um, yeah, I was in London last weekend and um, I went to visit Highgate Cemetery, which is near where I grew up. But I've actually only been there once before, which is rather embarrassing, even though it's a major tourist attraction. You went with me the last time, didn't you? Was that the last time I went? Well, I mean, I definitely went with you once. Oh, well, that's the only time I've been then. Yeah. Oh, I feel honoured. So I went again and I forgot how big Karl Marx's head was <laughs> on his grave. It's not a life-sized reconstruction, Dominic. No, it's so imposing. Anyway, we were there and we saw on Karl Marx's grave there were some like slashes on it. And we were like, oh, that's weird. That's a strange design. Or has someone attacked it? Anyway, lo and behold, the Highgate Cemetery Trust tweeted a post a few days ago saying that Karl Marx's grave had been vandalised with a hammer. So it's big news in London and it was some kind of attack, some kind of hate crime, maybe. Hate crime. Do we call that hate crime? They described it, someone, a journalist described it as a hate crime. Is it a hate crime? That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I'm not sure either. It's an act of political vandalism. Yeah, what I quite liked is that the chief executive of the Friends of Highgate Cemetery Trust said that it was a particularly inarticulate form of political protest, which is quite a snappy riposte. It's not very subtle, is it, smashing something with a hammer? No, it's not. It's a bit thuggish. But I'd just like to clarify, it was not me. Even though I was there. You were there at the scene of the crime. I was suddenly thinking back to the day we were there because it hadn't been reported yet, I don't think, to the police. I was like thinking, oh, did we arrive just after it happened or something? But then I looked on Twitter and saw that actually there were people posting photos of it like three days before I was there. So... It definitely wasn't me. I was in Amsterdam and I wouldn't have had any reason to do it. Why am I I'm now sounding like the lady doth protest too much? You're um, talking rather a lot for someone that's apparently completely innocent. Anyway, don't smash up graves. It's not a nice thing to do. What have you got coming up on the show? Uh, this week, we're going to Europe's most polluted city, Skopje in Macedonia. The city has generally horrific levels of pollution, but it's been particularly bad over the past week or so. Uh, so we wanted to ring up someone in Skopje to find out what it's like just trying to breathe over there. We have the writer Alexander Dimishkovsky on the line coming up, uh, recorded at 6.40 in the morning, my time, which was really fun. There might be a few croaky voices coming up. 
First of all, have you got anything for Commemoration Corner this week? Is it like the 437th anniversary of some composer dying or something? No, it's quite a big one this week. Friday the 8th of February saw the bicentenary of John Ruskin, who was the leading art critic of the Victorian era. Bicentenary, do you know what that is, Katie? It's either 200 years or 50 years. 200 years. Mm. Uh, So John Ruskin, yeah, describing him as an art critic probably doesn't do him justice. He was one of the most important intellectuals of his time. He wrote prolifically on a broad range of topics and was way ahead of the times talking critically about some of the nasty effects of industrialization, such as the dehumanization of workers and the adverse environmental effects. One historian recently said that he was the first major literary figure to write about climate change and pollution. He even talked about melting glaciers. Mm. Isn't that amazing? For this reason and other prophetic things that he wrote, Ruskin is coming back into fashion, which maybe could be seen as a response to our age of fake news and climate change deniers. Um, There's been a wave of articles written this week about why John Ruskin is so relevant now, and we will post one or two of our favourites in the show notes. In the meantime, if you happen to be in London, there is an exhibition in celebration of his 200th birthday called John Ruskin, The Power of Seeing at Two Temple Place, London, until the 22nd of April. And we've heard it's rather good. Oh, maybe I'll go to that tomorrow. You should. Man, it's been one of those weeks where there have been about 19 choices for Bad Week. A uh, bit of a throwback to our interview with 10-year-old climate protester Lily last week in the Netherlands. This week, a minister next door in Belgium had to resign for saying there were like shadowy forces behind all these kids protesting, which is what we in France like to call le bullshit. And uh, actually, speaking of France, things haven't been great there either. And we're basically not talking to Italy right now. But maybe we'll talk more about that next week. This week, I want to talk about a woman called Laura Codruzza Corveshi. She used to be head of Romania's anti-corruption agency. And she is a badass. She basically brought down a load of powerful politicians and businessmen in what is one of the most corrupt countries in Europe. She brought charges against more than a thousand people over five years. And less importantly, but still really cool, she used to be a professional basketball player. Anyway, uh, Laura was waging this massive anti-corruption campaign for five years and she got loads of praise for it from quite a lot of Romanians and from elsewhere in the EU until July when she got sacked. Ostensibly because she broke the rules while waging this anti-corruption campaign, but her supporters say it's because she pissed off too many powerful people, uh, particularly by targeting the ruling Social Democrat Party. And her sacking sparked these big protests in Romania over the summer, especially since after she got sacked, the government tried to follow up with loosening the anti-corruption laws. Not a great look. Why is Laura in the news this week? Well, she was tipped to get this massive new job, being Europe's chief prosecutor. It's a new job, didn't exist before. And when a panel of crime experts were asked who they thought should get it, she was the top choice. They said, absolutely, she's the woman for the job. But guess who's trying to block her? Her home country. Ta-da! Yeah, funnily enough, the Romanian government have said that they do not want her in the role. I guess they don't want one of their enemies getting such a powerful job. This is a setback for Laura, but this decision can't be vetoed by one country alone. So if Romania actually wanted to seriously block her from getting the job, they'd have to get quite a lot of their pals together to vote this woman down. And I suspect she might pull through because she does have a lot of fans in the rest of Europe. The other good news is the job itself. Europe is getting its own public prosecutor's office. And from 2021, they're going to start investigating things like corruption involving EU funds and tax fraud that crosses national borders. So that's a good thing, at least. That is a good thing. 
So not such a grim bad week. Well, no, there are elements of real grimness there. Badish. Who's it been a good week for? Well, you may remember that back in July, some invaluable crown jewels were stolen from Sterengnes Cathedral west of Stockholm in Sweden. Do you remember that? Mm, rings vague bells. Yeah, things are being stolen all the time, aren't they? It's difficult to keep on top of it. Well, these were some objects from Charles IX's funeral regalia and contained two crowns and an orb made out of gold, precious stones and pearls. And one of the strange things about this strangest of heists was that they were taken in broad daylight whilst there were like employees around and they were taken from a glass cabinet that was alarmed. Mm. The thieves then made a getaway by speedboat that was observed by numerous onlookers and they are then thought to have escaped capture by disappearing into the vast network of lakes west of Stockholm. Wow, I love that. That's so Mission Impossible. It is. I mean, it does sound like it's. they just did it in order to be able to sell the book rights to their heist. <laughs> you cynic. I am, yeah. Anyway, one man is already facing trial for his involvement in this heist, but he denies involvement despite admitting to stealing the bike and boat that were used in the getaway suspicious up until now the jewels were missing and the guy on trial was not saying anything about the other people involved or where the jewels were but then this week a security guard found what is thought to be at least some of the stolen jewels on top of a bin in a suburb north of stockholm a bin yeah Whilst they are still waiting to be verified, it seems that they are likely to be the missing jewels, although I'm personally nervous about saying anything with any certainty, just in case it's that darned Belgian performance art group again who faked the discovery of the Picasso painting a few months ago, remember? Oh yeah! They were called Berlin. Stupid name. Really ungoogleable. The really ungoogleable Belgian artists. So we'll see, but it's looking like a good week for the Swedish crown jewels. I'm just looking at them now on Google and they look really nice and blingy. Like those two crowns, I think would fit you and me quite nicely. Oh, lovely. I think you should be careful when typing Swedish crown jewels into into Google. Oh, Oh. I don't think lots of people are going to get that. Is that even a reference that extends beyond Britain as well? Oh, maybe it doesn't. Maybe we should explain to everyone that your crown jewels are something else. Um, I had another question. Oh, yeah? Um, I was looking at the orbs. What is the point of orbs? Like, what, do they, what are they for? Oh, my God. I had exactly the same question. I was going to ask you if you knew that. And then I forgot. I do not know what orbs are for. If you know what orbs are for and you're like a royal expert, please write in and tell us. It was the BAFTAs this weekend and there were lots of awards handed out. Um, One award that European cities probably don't want to get is the award for the most polluted city in Europe. And that award goes to Skopje, the capital of Macedonia. Congratulations, Skopje. Or should I say the capital of the Republic of North Macedonia? After they made an agreement with Greece to change their name in recognition of the large region of Macedonia which exists in Greece. We probably shouldn't talk about that again because the one time we talked about the name change is the one instance where we got some pretty nasty hate mail or, well, it wasn't that bad, but we just got quite a lot of trolling online about it. Some very nice Greek nationalists with quite strong feelings about things in the world. So we'll skim over that for now. Not that we're scared of the trolls. 
But just to say also that Macedonia was approved to join NATO this week after Greece dropped its long-running objection to their membership because of the name dispute. But our interview this week is not focusing on the name change, nor on NATO. We're going to be talking to the journalist and consultant Alexander Dimishkovsky about the atrocious pollution that the city of Skopje is experiencing at the moment. For two consecutive days last week, the levels of particulates were four times the levels that are thought of as safe by the World Health Organization. Schools were actually closed for two days in order to reduce the need for children to go outside and hospitals are filling up with people suffering from respiratory problems. Dimish, we should probably explain why he's known as Dimish. Basically, when we asked him about this, he said that uh, everybody in Skopje is called Alexander. So if you shout Alexander in the town square or whatever, like 15 people will turn around and say yes. Dimish is actually a uh, friend of our sometimes Balkans correspondent, Andrew McDowell. So thank you very much, Andy, for putting us in touch. And uh, yeah, as mentioned, we talked to him very early, 6.40am London time. So apologies for the croaky voices. Do you know why it's so acute at the moment? There are several reasons for that. Um, First of all, the city has grown tremendously in the past um, decade or so. On the last census in 2002, there were like uh, a little over half a million. And uh, we haven't had a census since, but uh, the estimations are that there are now more than 800,000. It's a tremendous increase in size. Basically, the city is uh, situated in a valley surrounded by mountains. And when you fill out all that valley with buildings, there is no wind, there is no uh, nowhere for the air pollution to go away. <laughs> in recent years, for instance, because of poverty, a lot of people have been uh, using uh, wood stoves, but they are not burning wood. They are burning plastic waste, uh, scrap wood that they can find, like old furniture or, st- or even waste oil. Basically, everything that is combustible, they burn it inside, and it's contributing massively to the overall pollution. Then you have the situation of uh, small and big industry, which are also highly polluting, but they are not sanctioned for that because basically no one around here is paying any penalty for polluting the air. And in terms of like the daily impact that this has on people's lives, what does that look like? I have a small daughter. Uh, she's four years old. She really likes being outside and she is confined to being indoors for most of the winter. The only solution is to go out of the city on some mountain resort or to go as far as possible from Skopje, (laughs) just to be outdoors. I mean, there are very, very few occasions that we can go out when there is heavy rain or heavy snow, which clears out the air. It's affecting her development in that sense because she's an outdoor person. My second personal example is the fact that my whole life I have never had any issues with allergies and I've been on medications for the past seven months for unknown allergy, basically, because of the air pollution. When the air pollution starts, my throat gets stuck and I almost can't breathe. For the majority of the people, it's also not only affecting the quality of life, but it's also affecting their economic state because they have to buy air purifiers for their homes or for their institutions or for their businesses. They have to plan or limit the working hours of people when uh, when there is a very, very high levels of pollution. The awareness is increasing, but uh, unfortunately not enough for things to start changing. Is there any sign that the now it's really acute and it's actually making some international headlines that the government might 
get their act together and pass some legislation to try and make things better? It's interesting that this government devoted a lot of their attention to air pollution before they came to power. But uh, as soon as they came on power, the only thing that they did is they uh, made another plan. They have devoted like 2 million euros to deal with uh, air pollution, which is clearly not enough. <laughs> uh, the measures that they're planning, there are long-term measures, but none of these long-term measures are being implemented in a way that's going to be contributing to actual re- reduction in air pollution. There is a discussion about building a tram system, but it's also something that has been discussed for decades and there were surveys and there were plans and strategies, but the implementation has never happened. In terms of like more immediate things, Dimish, that the government could do to help, like w- what would you like to see them doing? Uh, even if they start doing what they have put in the plans, it would mean a lot. For instance, part of the issue is that uh, a lot of households don't have access to other options other than wood stoves. So uh, it may Making this gasification happen, it would mean a lot. Improving public services like public transport and um, central heating would also mean a lot. And these are stuff that can be easily done. Is there any sign of a grassroots movement from citizens who are unhappy with the situation, who are trying to campaign for more stringent measures? There is an increasing number of movements and uh, protests being organized um, especially in the past two years, and especially because of the the passive approach that this government has taken towards this issue because of the expectations were high after this government came to power. People uh, were expecting that the situation regarding air pollution would change quickly and would change dramatically. And uh, none of those changes has happened uh, yet. People are starting to react to it more and more. If you take a look on uh, uh, social media or on on general discussions on the web, you'll see that air pollution is a term that's pretty much dominating. Maybe this is a stupid question, but um, before you can decide whether it's safe for your daughter to go outside and play outside, have you found out a way to kind of test uh, the quality? Yeah, there are a lot of measuring stations and online data about that, Uh, even though they're not that much reliable, but there is an indication of the quality of the year. But even if there are no measuring stations, we've got so used to it that I know exactly which level it is. (laughs) I can feel the differences. I mean, I had a friend coming from Poland like two months ago. His first comment was that uh, it's so polluted that it's almost sticking to your tongue. You can feel it on your thumb. (laughs) How can you live like this? That was his comment. It is really terrifying to hear about these kind of levels of pollution happening in Europe. It sounds like Dimish is living in Beijing or somewhere like that. And, you know, pollution is something that we have everywhere in Europe. And I complain a lot about it living in Paris. Sometimes I get off my bike and I feel like I've been sitting inside a car exhaust fume for about half an hour. But it's nowhere near as bad as that. I mean, just not being able to take your daughter outside, that is horrendous. Maybe I should cheer us all up with a happy ending then. Yes, please.
I have another happy ending that fits into that semi-regular genre of people finding objects in their house that they don't realise are incredibly special and valuable. Where do you get these stories from? Actually, this one I found on the Today programme, Radio 4, which I've suddenly become hooked to every morning and I've realised that I don't have to get up as early as I would in the UK to listen to it because I'm an hour ahead. Oh, I'm glad the time difference is working on your favour, unlike some of us who had to get up at 6.40 this morning to talk to Dimish. All right, some people get up at 6.40 every morning morning to go to work some people get up much earlier the people who are working on the today program get up and do interviews way before 6 40 katie so we're just finally becoming real radio professionals <laughs> um anyway in this case one day what happened in this case the story starts with that invariably difficult process of clearing away the belongings of parents who have recently died and selling up the family home Now, I don't want to suggest in any way that there is a happy ending for the Fry family while they were doing this, but they were clearing out the belongings of the late playwright Christopher Fry, and Tam, his son, did get a very nice surprise when, many years after the death of his father, he got round to sorting through a box of belongings whilst clearing out the house, and he noticed some dusty sketches. They were dusty but beautiful, and after deciding to show them to an auctioneer, Tam was quite astonished to discover that they were in fact sketches by the 19th century master painter John Constable. This was obviously incredibly exciting for the family, but also it's really exciting for Constable experts for whom new examples of his work like very rarely show up. Um, It seems that these sketches were of early ideas for some stage designs for a production of Shakespeare's As You Like It. And they will be going up for auction in March. And whilst it is thought that they were bought for £3 in the 1950s, they're expected to go for between five and £8,000 each. Wow. So very good news for the Fry family. And to bring this episode full circle, I should mention that John Ruskin, whose bicentenary it is, was a very harsh critic of Constable. He found him banal. And I found this nice quote that I thought would be nice to end off with. He said that he found Constable, quote, nothing more than an industrious and innocent amateur blundering his way to a superficial expression of one or two popular aspects of common nature. Ouch. That's so mean. Ruskin was the original internet troll. Yeah, yeah, except it wasn't on the internet. Dominic, you'll be pleased to know we have nearly enough money on our Patreon now to... By those constable sketches. I shouldn't say that otherwise no one's going to donate. But apart from bumping into a famous European on the Eurostar yesterday, the other exciting thing that happened to me this week was that I sent out the first postcards to our insanely generous $10 a month patron supporters. So Juan, Hans and Alex, those are winging their way over to you as we speak. Uh, we also want to give a very grateful shout out to everyone that started donating this week, not least Brigitte de la Malene, Mark Grealish, Johannes Gulliok and Katie Ramp. If you would like more say over what goes into the show and uh, potentially a personally recorded voice message uh, from me and Dominic and a postcard from Paris or Amsterdam, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash Europeans podcast. Even just a dollar a month is hugely, hugely appreciated. Thank you once again for listening to the Europeans. We will be back next week with more of the same. Well, it won't be the same because it's always very different. And I think we're going uh, next week to Antarctica, which is super exciting to the Italian research base there yeah to be confirmed in the meantime people can find us on the internet they can yeah follow us on twitter at Europeans pod instagram Europeans podcast type us into facebook the Europeans podcast which our facebook has suddenly come alive again I don't know what's happening it's because I started posting things 
unlike some people. Sorry, I've been very busy. We should leave now. Everyone, have a great week and uh, we'll see you back here next Tuesday. Bye-bye. Dovidovania. I think that's right. Something like that. <laughs>